Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Vigourou. And I'm Drew Shulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 1, Episode 15, The Benders. Let's get this show on the road. Hello, listeners. Before we jump into our recap for today, we have a fun little announcement to share with you. As you know, we enjoy speaking to each other and about this show, and we have a lot to say, and sometimes it doesn't all make it to air, unfortunately. Now, of course, we want to give you as much content and analysis as we possibly can, so we decided to start making you some mixtapes. So every Monday, we'll post something that didn't make it onto the podcast on our brand new TikTok account. It can be a small Easter egg, a piece of trivia, or a little theory that we might have. So with keeping on brand and making things easy for our listeners, you can find us on TikTok at Carrying Wayward. And now we get to a recap, which I'm, I feel like I'm getting more in my head with the recaps and I'm intrigued to see where I go with this one. All right. Three, two, one, go. Little boy staying up late watching horror movies, which he shouldn't be doing. Although Godzilla vs. Mothra, I do agree with Dean. Fantastic film. Good choice. Uh, hears something outside, sees a guy out in the parking lot, guy suddenly gets pulled underneath the car, and there is our monster of the week, something sneaky, kidnapping people. Uh, the brothers get turned onto this case because of the recent missing persons. They are chilling at a bar and discussing how, uh, their dad has clearly circled this place as a spot of interest. They throw around a few ideas. Sam leaves on his own and then suddenly <gasps> vanishes. Dean's all freaked out, notices the uh, security cameras, starts posing as a cop and making friends with a local cop, and they go to save Sam, even though she kind of figures out his whole deal, which is a great moment. Um, we then get to sort of see Dean, uh, see Dean kind of like play the big brother, which is really adorable, and then we see Sam kind of on his own but being the smart one. And with another guy who they were there to try to find who is not a smart one. And then we finally reveal the creature of the week is people. Which we have a, what, so much to get into there. Um, they catch the cop. Dean gets away. They can catch Dean. Then Sam gets away. And then Sam comes to save the day, even though Dean has kind of saved himself. And they get away and they learn a lesson, I guess? <laughs> Um, do they learn a lesson, Drew? Do they? <laughs> I think they want us to think a lesson was learned, and I don't think we really did. Oh, yeah. I mean, we'll talk about that. But you had 30 seconds left, so you did pretty good. Congrats. Okay, so for the long game, this is actually the first time that there is nothing supernatural going on. I feel like this came too early. Again, Ooh. looking at the show, knowing they had at least three to four seasons kind of like in the bank, that the like people are evil two story kind of maybe could have been pushed a little further down the line, especially in a 15 season show. It feels really early to have that episode. I see your point, but I think when you start diving into the theme of the episode, it start that's when it starts making sense within the story. Well, shall we move into story time right away so that we can talk about that? 
So Drew, we were just talking about how you had some issues with the theme of this episode. Can you tell me a little bit about what you read as being the theme of the episode? So I think the theme of this episode is the evil of man. I think the other term I've seen thrown around for this is the duality of man. And I think that is the problem is if we go with the duality of man, there's issues. If we go with the evil of mankind, it works a little better in my books. But maybe we can discuss that. Oh, yeah. Well, we're going to have to because I sincerely think that this has to do with the duality of man. (laughs) Okay. I I mean, ultimately, they do play with each other. But I think, why do you say duality of man? So far, we have seen the creatures in that world presented in two different ways. We've seen supernatural creatures presented as evil, and we've seen humans mostly presented as victims, although sometimes jerks or people who are not necessarily good, but at least, you know, not, like you said, not straight up murderers are presented Mm -hmm. in the show. Humans are presented as good. In this episode, clearly, like, that is not the case. I think that in order to truly understand the episode, we need to look at Kathleen. This is where I thought you were going to take this, because I think she is the only example of duality versus straight-up caricatures. I see Kathleen as the perfect example of what I'm about to say. Do not forget that everything that is showed in season one is foreshadowing. Okay. Never forget that. So I'm, whenever I think about like, you know, the duality of man and what, so what does that mean? It means, and I'm going to use a quote from Sirius Black. We've all got both light and dark inside of us. What matters is the part that we choose to act on. That's who we really are. And so, you know, like you said, clearly the benders have chosen to act on their quote unquote evil side. And we see Sam and Dean who have chosen to act on their quote unquote good side. But that's just the thing. They've chosen to act upon it, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that when we start looking at Kathleen, that's when it starts getting a lot more gray and a lot more interesting. And like I said, I want us to look at the reaction of the boys towards Kathleen as foreshadowing for how they will eventually treat each other when they start acting on their, again, quote-unquote, evil or dark side. So that's exactly where I think is what we were missing in this episode is we have, we we have the, the brothers as kind of the light side of this. And we know that they have their own problems. We know they have a darkness within them, albeit when they fight or that they use, uh, I think a great example of whenever the duality of mankind comes up is the, is not, is using that gray area. It's using that anger and using that hatred to fuel better choices So we then move to Kathleen, who is, and I'm air quoting this, a paragon of good in that she is a protector of people, a police officer, what they are supposed to symbolize at the start. We then kind of see the gray come in a little more as she makes decisions like helping Dean versus arresting him because she understands what he's trying to do, though it is breaking the law, it is going against her code and her ethics. It's ultimately for a good cause. And then we see her finally tip completely into her darkness when she pulls the trigger and kills the man who killed her brother. Mm -hmm. And I think that gives us a very nice, albeit very dark ending to her. It gives us a very complete image. But where my big problem comes in is that our example of darkness 
is literally a caricature of a villain. They are stereotypical. They are not written in any way other than being just country bumpkins for the sake of being these are bad people doing bad things. It it makes it hard to swallow the theme of duality over the theme of just the darkness within. I'm not saying that it's a one size fits all and that everybody and duality doesn't mean that it's split in the middle, right? It means that mm-hmm. like like the quote, everybody's got light and dark and what matters is the part that we choose to act on. So the more you act on one thing, the more that thing develops. And I think that that's also visible within Missy because I don't think kids are born evil for a lot of reasons. And I'm sure that there's a lot of profilers out there or people who know a lot more, especially about serial killers who would be able to tell us a lot more than what I can. But it's something that is developed some way or another. And so Missy at tender age, what, eight, doesn't feel any remorse or guilt about what's happening. And I just, I feel like that's so important somehow in the story because it also again like we have the idea of the we had the idea of the dark mirror in nightmare well I feel like this is also a dark mirror for the boys because like they were also very strongly indoctrinated by John to act a certain way to not care about certain things you know like the whole well, that's a monster in my book you know like I make up the rules I decide what is good what is bad And then Sam is always trying to say like, but wait, but what about this? What about that? And so that's, I think like, while I agree that on the surface, it it might seem very one note, I think that by scratching a little bit, you start being like, oh, okay. So like, yeah, sure. They're on one end of the spectrum, but it doesn't mean that they don't have light inside of them either. At the end of the day, do you think it was right for Kathleen to shoot the father? No, and I think that's ultimately one of the... Why? Why was it wrong? Because it's embracing the extreme. It's basically, it's kind of like that classic comic book line of like, oh, if you kill them, you're just as bad as they are. But then, so then it only has to do with her. It has nothing to do with him. So for you, her killing him, the only thing that should be taken into consideration to decide whether or not this was a moral choice is her development? I would say yes. Even though that person that she killed was an actual piece of garbage, like he was still a human being and he deserved to live. So this is a very interesting point. I feel I feel like I'm contradicting myself when I say this. Do I think he deserved to live? No. I am content that he did not make it out of that scenario. Do I think I was rooting for her to pull the trigger? There's the part of me that just as a viewer of television wants to see her get her revenge because she so bloody deserves it. But on a more humane scale, she's stooping to their level. I mean, this is the, like, to to keep going to other media, for examples, this is the classic Batman and the Joker. The Batman will never kill the Joker because killing him would just make him as bad as the Joker. But in this scenario, you are taking a person who is very emotionally charged. I mean, this man literally just laughed at her about murdering her brother in cold blood. Mm Mm-hmm. And she decided this person shouldn't live anymore. While I am so on board with people who are probably going to go like, yeah, he probably should have been killed. Not arguing that. I'm arguing the letting someone who's emotionally charged that is very biased in a situation, choosing to take someone else's life as much as we could all kind of root for it because this person was so blatantly evil. 
I don't think it excuses it. No, and I agree with you. And I think, but again, like to me, the argument is not only that she is stooping to his level. It's that it mm-hmm. is wrong to kill a human being because it is a human being. It's wrong because it's wrong. Like I'm making a very ontological argument. I'm fully aware of that. And it's also the difference between justice and revenge, right? Again, like that that idea of revenge is coming back, that revenge doesn't actually solve anything because at the end of the day, her brother is still dead. And now she has to live with the burden of having taken a life. And that adds to her duality because do you think that she might regret having done that eventually? I think I can almost like paint the scene coming where she will always have to rationalize to herself that she did a good thing for a good reason. And ultimately the world is better because she did it. But the fact that she will have to continue to tell herself that every single time proves the point that maybe it was not the right move, even if it felt like the right one at the time. Exactly. And that's why I, I, to me, the idea of that duality is so important because Mm -hmm. while again, while he was, mostly garbage, he was still a human being. And to be able to recognize the light in others only brings out the light in you. And I think that that part is what is so important for the brothers going forward. Because the moment that they stop seeing the humanity in each other, that's when things go wrong for them. I don't want that to happen. That sounds bad. I know. Bad things are happening for the brothers. All right. So so here we're actually seeing... Sam, again, being the voice of reason, you know, when they're at the bar, they're trying to, he's trying to be like, okay, no, we have to get back to the motel, like, at a decent time, because we, I want an early start, and Dean is just having none of it, like, he wants to stay out and have fun, (laughs) so that's nice, we're still seeing that, like, back and forth, just, like, some strengthening of their characters, which is really nice. Oh, yeah, like, if I can quick aside, I am total headcanon right here, when Dean went to the bathroom real quick, he totally, like, went to go pee, got another beer, downed it real fast, and then went to go find Sam, because there's no way Sam was out there that long while Dean was waiting for a bathroom in a bar that was that quiet. Oh my god, honey, we're going to be talking about that, because I have, because anyway, he loses a full hour. Is it that long, really? (laughs) Let's put a pin in that. And then we're also seeing a bunch of Johnisms, just like oozing from Dean, you know? Sam is my responsibility, and he even says it twice within the span of like Mm -hmm. five minutes, right? He says like, Sam's my responsibility. And then later in the car, he goes like, you know, I pretty much pulled him out of the fire ever since. And ever since I felt responsible for him. So like, we're seeing just how badly he's like clinging on to that and how badly like, this is like etched into his personality and into like his identity. Yeah. And you just know that those words are from John. (laughs) I I feel like the way they were raised as brothers were was it was very much instilled that like he is your brother he is your responsibility you are making sure he is safe Mm. not saying that i john am not doing those things but you are doing it as much as i am like i protect you two Mm -hmm. you protect him that's the way things work Mm. and I don't think there's any part of it that is not sincere when Dean says those Mm -hmm. things. I think he makes a really good point when he says to uh, Kathleen, like, look into my eyes, it'll look like I'm lying to you. And I almost think the better line would have been like, I'm coming clean. I am admitting to what I like. You called me out. I am saying you're right. I lied. I'm not lying about this. Mm. I will admit to the stuff that's BS, but I am sticking to the things that are true in this moment. That's what I feel he's trying to get across. And I think it works. That's true. That's very true. 
Do we want to talk about bisexual Dean? Yes, I'm intrigued. I saw that as a title. I know we're doing a lot of queer Dean, but like now to kind of like, I don't want to say narrow our scope a little bit, but like to specify something, like please. All right, so let me paint you a picture. <laughs> Ooh. So let's go back to that bar scene that we discussed really briefly. So in the bar, at the very beginning, Sam and Dean are talking, and Dean is like looking, and I don't know if you caught that, but like, Dean is looking at Sam, but he's also looking back and forth between Sam and at an, an, a different direction. Like his eyes are shifting. Hmm. And like there's a point where it actually looks like he's winking in that direction. I need to go back and rewatch that because I didn't catch that. I will admit that was one of the scenes where I was really taking some notes due to some other stuff. But like I'm now really intrigued to see if I missed that. Like I'm going to go check that after this recording. You absolutely have to go rewatch it because it is. Yeah, it's funny because I had missed it for so long and that I read a post that described this and I was like, what? Mm -hmm. What? And it's true. It's so true. The moment you see it, you cannot unsee it. It's actually so strange. I'm so excited. So anyway, and then when Sam says that they should leave, Dean actually goes, oh, let's have another round while looking in that direction. Okay. Mm -hmm. And he looks back and forth again, and then he goes to the men's bathroom. Now, Sam gets abducted, and when Dean comes out and starts looking for him, he's actually asking people around if they've been out there in the last hour or so. Okay, I, I, I kind of clocked that line as being a bit like, why the last hour or so? Like, how long have you been gone? Mm -hmm. But, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. If he was really just going to the bathroom to pee, which he clearly says, you know, I gotta go take a leak. I feel like he wouldn't have been in the bathroom for, quote unquote, the last hour or so. Um, mm -hmm. So, there, I mean, there's a clear time gap there for about an hour that Dean would have spent, as far as we know, in the men's bathroom. I think critical time, we were in a really weird spot where I feel like we had a really heated back and forth during story and long game <laughs> because of our differing views on this. And I think in critical time, I can better explain how I feel because I think it is a flaw of the writing. Okay. Because I think ultimately you're right. I think the goal of this episode was the duality, and Kathleen is really the focal point of that. Mm -hmm. But it is the poor writing, development, and characterization of the Bender family mm -hmm. that makes it hard to see. It overshadows everything else. Like, I, I use an example of, like, the home decor. They live in, like, a squalor. They live in a mess. There's a wind chime made of bones. It is too on the nose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I know you kind of, like, batted away my term before, but I'm going to bring it up again. They are a caricature. Yeah. They are, if you had a five-year-old write for you what they think a serial killer's home looks like, this is what they are drawing you. Please don't ask a five-year-old to draw a serial killer's <laughs> home. That's a very terrible thing to do. But I stand by my point. And I think that, I think, like, even, I know I'm kind of now, I keep dipping into other sections, this isn't my crossroads, but kind of in that crossroadsy side of things, if I were the writer in making these decisions, I would have made them live in a nice home. I would have made the house proper. I would have made them look more human. Mm. I would have been, they're dark, but the darkness is beneath a veneer of humanity. Even if they don't actively portray it, they try to at least wear the disguise. By making them look, quote unquote, 
evil, just generic villains in a movie, it takes away from what they're trying to do, which is showing you the evil of man. So again, like I agree with you. They were like, it was Mm -hmm. very on the nose. I think the reason why I don't care all that much is because to me, they're not the focal point. It's Kathleen. I think that's my problem. So it's easy for me to be like, oh yeah, for sure. Like these people were definitely like written over the top, but let's focus on Kathleen. (laughs) So it's, it's like, I get it but I don't care, (laughs) which is a terrible thing to say. I think that's where we differ. And I think part of it is because you brought up Missy earlier and I wanted Missy to be more meaningful, I think. Mm, I see. I think she could have been a great example of, like they could have used her in so many ways to make it, yeah, she's dark, but it's because she was raised that way. Mm. Maybe give her like some semblance of humanity more so than the rest of them, which I know is kind of cliche that she's a little girl and she's the good one of the the, uh, the batch. Mm-hmm. Having her be just as bad, I think almost works better in some cases a little bit. Yeah. But I think we needed to see something within the four of them that made you even for a split second go, oh, maybe they're not that bad. I don't think you could given what we were given. But I think in a better story, that's what you need. But I also somewhat disagree with that. Because then, like, how do you side with Kathleen? Because then if you give them humanity and she shoots the human with humanity, how do you ever empathize with her? That is true. Right? That's the whole point. They want you to empathize with Kathleen. The story in this is to see Kathleen kill someone that she thinks has no humanity. And again, note that she is with Dean this entire time. Perhaps that means that at some point, Dean is going to have to make that decision. You know what? I think that's my biggest issue is I think I really sidelined Kathleen with the exception of her like final moment there when if you really look at the episode as being her episode almost it really does change my view like i think my original points back in story time but you're right you're right and i don't want to take away from that i just don't think that that's the focus of the story i'm having such like an awe moment of like i'm rethinking the episode (laughs) in so many levels now (sighs) here again i think my two issues that you have now kind of swayed me on where one, like I said earlier, if this was not the first time that humans are the bad guys, I think it may have been an easier pill to swallow and kind of ignore the benders as just being evil Mm -hmm. for the sake of furthering a story. But because there are first ones, Mm -hmm. I'm so focused on them. And then I think the second thing is up until this point, bar a few weird exceptions, the side character of the episode has rarely been that important of a focal point. Fair. They've been great mirrors for the characters. They've been great set pieces. They've been fantastic for helping us learn more about each other. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel that they've ever been as primary as the brothers have been, which I think really matters with Kathleen in this one. This is where it gets interesting because this episode was written by John Sheban, who also gave us skin. And I think that the last mm. time that an, a side character was that important was in skin. With the shapeshifter. Yeah, you're right. That's the only, that's like the prime example of a side character being so important. Yeah. I love when there's kind of those cool, like, pull throughs of like a writer or a director or like a, a producer having like kind of like their themes. I know. And it might not be every time, but like whenever we get to one, you go, oh, by the way, it was so and so who wrote this episode. I'm gonna be like, yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I mean, John Sheban also wrote uh, Hookman. 
to give you an idea. So again, like one where the side characters were really quite important. So speaking of side characters, are we ready to move a little bit into the messaging around Kathleen? Yes, please. Again, like we've talked about this a little bit, but she, a law enforcement officer, shoots the dad at point blank range, not rage, although it is rage, as he's already wounded and on the ground. I mean, again, the only way that the audience can have a semblance of empathy for her is if we already know that this guy is a piece of garbage, right? Like we, we know we dislike him, we detest him. And that's the only reason why we still feel empathy for her. Because when Mm -hmm. generally, if we, if that scene had turned up anywhere else, you know, somebody shooting somebody else at point blank range on the floor while they're already bleeding, I mean, we wouldn't like them very much, right? So I sort of want to know what you think about that now that we've had our like common breakthrough. (laughs) Yes. So I think, yeah, I think really the big point of there is no redeeming quality in the benders. The fact that I think anyone watching the show, even if they are like anti-gun, anti-death penalty, like I am not for either of those things. And even I kind of was like, you deserve this. Yeah. And I think it just makes it easier to side with Kathleen in the action. Mm -hmm which then does allow us to have this bigger conversation. Exactly. And this is... And I think that is very important. Yeah. And I mean, like we said, it, it allows to have that conversation about... And that's something that I've personally struggled with so much in the past very long time, actually, of, of the difference between justice and revenge. You know, by killing him, she gets revenge, right? Like, that's easy, instant, and it's done. But... By actually delivering justice, I don't think she would have killed him. Like, justice does not include killing another human being. And I know that sometimes, especially in media, we tend to forget that. We're like, yeah, you killed that bad guy. But, but mm-hmm. I, I just don't want us to become desensitized to the loss of human life. It's, it's just, it's so important to me, you know? So anyway, but it also opens, like we said, that whole arc of like grief for Kathleen to me. Because, like, she says, like, I thought it would be easier once I knew the truth, but it isn't really. And so does the truth really set you free? No, I think that's kind of, I think if we look at this from the, what are they trying to teach Mm -hmm. us as an audience through Kathleen here? It is, again, something we've hammered home many times. Revenge is not the answer. But in this case, even just the closure of, like, regardless of whether or not she did, in fact, kill this person, I think it also kind of comes down to just the the knowledge that she thought knowing what happened mm-hmm. to her brother would make things mm-hmm. easier didn't. Is closure always the thing you need? Like, we all think we need or want closure or, heck, even deserve closure. Is that what we really need or want? Oof. Okay, so you are bringing up something that I have also <laughs> struggled with a lot in the past Seven and a half years, (laughs) which is closure. Mm -hmm. Do we deserve closure? Do we, and what is closure? Can the people who have harmed us truly bring us the closure that we feel that we need or that we feel that we owed? Does killing this man truly bring her the closure that she was hoping for? Does knowing the truth truly bring her the, the closure that she's looking for? And I think the answer to all of that is no. Agreed. Now, Let's look at it also applying that to the brothers because they're also on their very own revenge path. Mm -hmm. They're trying to find out what happened to their mom. 
will the truth truly set them free? I mean, that's, I think, the point here is regardless of what happens once they find the thing that killed their mother, is finding it, learning what it is, facing it, is any of that going to change anything? Mm. I mean, I don't think anyone here is going like, but if they kill it, it'll magically bring back mom. No, no, that's like, no, let's not even get to fairy tale land here. Ultimately, they want to find this thing for, as we keep saying, closure. And I think when it comes to closure, the thought is, I am going to get information that I don't currently have that will in some way make things better. They don't know what that is, mm. but they just feel that like knowing something is better than not knowing but I think in this case, we're seeing exactly that, that not knowing can actually be better. Well, it also brings back the conversation that we had about faith with Rochelle. You know, how faith originates from within. Perhaps mm -hmm. that's also the case for closure. I think that's a great point, And that's something I did want to get into as well. And I think that is kind of, you've heard that um, the mantra or expression that how you feel is 99% how you choose to react and 1% what you're reacting to. Mm -hmm. I feel like closure is a very similar, if not even maybe a step further. Closure is entirely how you feel about a situation. And yes, you might be able to rationalize new information differently, but ultimately it's how you process. It's how you achieve that closure on your own. Mm. Not to say that there aren't scenarios where, New information might make it easier for, to, for you to do that. But ultimately, that's just, in a weird chance, helpful. Reality is it's still you making that decision. I agree with that. There's one last thing in Critical Time I wanted to touch on. Just as a bit of interesting storytelling. And that would have to do with uh, something we've seen the brothers do a lot that I always love to pause and do a really good deep dive on. So just, I always want to see where it goes. And that is when they reference... Something obscure, but in that way where you know it's relevant for some reason. And that would be in the bar when they're talking about the possibility of this thing being a phantom attacker. Okay. Uh, very brief lookup. It really just refers to a being attacked by a thing that you cannot see or describe or it's not human-like. So you hear any of these stories, people being like, oh, my house is haunted. I wake up with scratches on my back or like things knocked down. That would kind of classify a phantom attacker. It's something that's causing harm or mayhem or dismay, mm -hmm. but isn't physically visible or if it ever shows up it's like a shape or a shadow it's not a thing mm, interesting and then they weirdly choose to name two examples which i had to go look up okay and very quickly they are spring hill jack and the phantom gasser okay in both of these scenarios they are legends and folklore from different places different time periods that seem to describe a human so already we are getting inadvertent foreshadowing within an episode that the thing they're after, uh, while it might be described as a legend or a myth, is very likely a person enrobed in mystery. Ooh. Uh, Spring Hill Jack a little more is kind of pa painted as like the classic devil with the fiddle, like the goat legs and the devil in like nice suit, but can like jump really high or has like flaming eyes or like a looks devilish, has like a reddish tint to his skin. But he's just sort of described as a well-dressed gentleman who moves in a way that doesn't seem human. Whereas the mad the, the Phantom Gasser or the Mad Gasser, as it was actually called in the papers, was an actual documented case of people getting attacked by someone with gas described as being someone dressed as a man. Okay. Wow. A lot of stories have then sprung off into supernatural what it could be, mm -hmm. but ultimately these started as reports of a human-like thing that then 
through full, through retelling and storytelling and legends became supernatural. Wow. Huh. It's interesting to me how they can have such a caricature on one on one side of this episode and then something mm-hmm. that's so well thought out and so like like these little easter eggs and hints they drop are just such magical little I nuggets know. sometimes and lead to such cool research and such interesting bits. So one last thing that we absolutely have to mention, otherwise we are going to get people on Twitter telling us that we missed it. <laughs> and as much as I want interaction on Twitter, I don't want it to be for bad reasons. The Benders is actually based on a real family, a real... Oh my God, yes. How did we not bring this up already? Oh my God, yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> I just, I feel so dumb. We've talked about it off air in between segments, <laughs> but we haven't actually said it on air yet. Oh my God. Exactly. So they are actually a family of four that lived in Kansas uh, in the early 1900s who murdered at least 11 people. And I'm saying at least because the premises were never actually fully excavated and therefore we don't even know how many people they've killed. Shall we see what our listeners have to say today? Yes, absolutely. This week we have a tweet from one of our listeners who specifically requested that I pronounce her name in French. So, Michelle, this is for you. You mentioned on Dead in the Water that there were blatant Star Wars references. Sam and Dean's personalities were based on Han Solo and Luke Skywalker. <laughs> I wish there was a recording for this because, oh my goodness, your face, Drew, just went like, really? I'm just replaying the episode in my head. I'm now, I now need to seriously go rewatch the episode with that in mind, yeah. but just from what I recall of the episode... Yeah. But it's not just that episode. It's like in general when Eric Kripke was describing, I guess, the interaction between the two brothers, like that's how he would describe it. And he's done that several times where he says, you know, that Sam is more of the Luke Skywalker of the two, um, a bit more shy, more reserved. And Dean is more the Han Solo of that duo, a bit more outgoing, uh, a bit more outspoken, a bit louder. I love that. And you're right. It is. They're very apt descriptions as much as they are very classically written characters, both Luke and Han. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of those, a lot of those movies, a lot of people hold dear, whether it be Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, many franchises like that. A lot of the characters become very iconic and very quickly used as a base reference for other characters and other media. I think this is a really good place, though, for the two of them. Yeah. Because it is a very interesting dynamic. And to actually have them be brothers and explore deeper than Star Wars really ever could with the two of them mm-hmm. as characters, it's a very interesting place to be. And I'm really glad you brought that up to us, Michelle. <laughs> right? I mean, merci beaucoup, Michelle. That was so nice. I think it's an interesting thing to put forward, especially considering what lies ahead for Sam. Let's put it this way. Oh, no. Oh, Sam. <laughs> oh, Sam. Every time you speak about the future, I get worried about something. Uh, well, I mean, honestly, in the first five seasons, like, I know that's not even true. You should always be worried for them. <laughs> I mean, I think that's something I have very much learned already. It's just when you kind of give me that illusion of like, mm, something's, coming. something's coming. It's like, I know it's coming. Don't tell me that. I like, I know something it. bad's about to happen. Coming in the air. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I promise the listeners as a gift to you, I will not sing. 
I, I, I woof, just woof. No, oh my goodness. Uh, well, anyway, Michelle, is- thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And I hope that you enjoy the, the next few episodes as well. Just going to say thank you so much again. I'm looking forward to hearing from many more about every other subject and anything else that we would possibly have missed that might result in me making a similar face for Mary so she can catch on the film next time. (laughs) Shall we move into our Crossroads deal? If I may. Yes, please go first. (laughs) Yes, this time I wrote it down. I have notes. Yes, you do. Very brief, which is I had a jumping off point I wouldn't forget. So I feel like something I have asked for many times, and as much as there's a lot of things in this episode that I think writing-wise could have been fixed, Mm -hmm. without changing too much, now that I've kind of realigned with your views that you've helped me lean into, of them being as dark as they were is important for Kathleen and story, and I'm repeating myself here, I think I would have liked to have seen a bit more intrigue and mystery in the episode. I very clearly think of maybe... Using the other um, victim who's kidnapped uh, alongside Sam to create the illusion that these aren't real people, like whether it's being the verbiage he uses or the way he talks about them, to help kind of lean into the idea that this is something supernatural, they're monsters, you know, have the realization, oh, they are just people, and then they let him go for their hunt, but then kind of maybe leave it up, whether it be with camera work or something that maybe the thing hunting them isn't human after all Mm. and then kind of let the they really are just humans be a bigger reveal when it comes to dean being tied up like let that be the moment where like maybe through the dialogue through dean's questioning having them kind of have dean kind of make the realization of like oh shit this really is just four humans who are evil there is nothing supernatural here and i think that would have maybe given the episode a little more gravitas in that this whole time we've just assumed it's a monster because it's clearly a monster to then have the reveal of like all that shit was just humans. Mm. And of course something has to be given up to do this. And I think we could have given up Missy. Really? I think Missy, while she can, while it can be argued, she has some value to the story. I'm not going to sit here and say she was useless. I feel like she was, from the greedy side of things, she was underutilized for what she was. You could have gone one of two ways. You either go Missy and give her a little more character and development, and you do the reveal of, oh, they're humans way earlier like you did, which they basically like beat around both bushes too much that neither one really got the gravitas it deserved. So I'm saying give up Missy and the potential and what she could have been and what she was, and really just give us these three evil humans and build more mystery around them. You know what? I am actually going to riff off of that because. Oh, Ooh. So one thing that I noticed that we didn't actually talk about in story time is the fact that these people describe themselves as hunters. And I think that that is important because very true. How do Sam and Dean describe themselves as hunters, right? I think if Missy wasn't around, the parallel between the father and the two sons would have been a bit more clear. And I guess that's where my crossroads deal lies because I'm very torn because my obvious one would be to say that I wish that Kathleen hadn't killed the father because I I still think that, anyway, I have issues with that. But (laughs) I understand that I understand why that was necessary for the story, why that was important foreshadowing and all of that. So I will then say that I wish that 
this the script or the episode had been a little bit more daring in making a parallel between John and the boys and the Bender family. I, I agree. I think that's kind of my point with Missy a little bit was that there was a missed opportunity, whether it be with Missy or he dropped her and had the, the two sons mm. to draw that parallel more, especially going back on your, your point before we forgot to bring up the, the line of them referring to themselves as hunters. Yeah. Had we done like we did in the episode and gotten to the they're humans so quickly, mm-hmm. had that been because we wanted to learn more about this relationship between father and son and kind of draw the parallels, that would have been, I, I think that would have been amazing. Mm. But again, I think that then the story wouldn't have necessarily worked in terms of, because then we would we would not have any empathy or sympathy for Kathleen. If we had started identifying our main characters with the benders, it would have been very difficult for us to swallow what Kathleen did at the end. And so I think we, we just have to keep that in mind. And so that's why I think I understand why it wasn't done that way. But I think that, you know, again, if we're looking at Supernatural as a very dark show, or, mm-hmm. you know, if we have our, you know, quote unquote, HBO Supernatural idea where, <laughs> you know, the themes become more dark, more deep, etc. I think that that could have been an interesting approach for the episode altogether. So what would you give up then? Missy. Damn. <laughs> I, I feel like, so if, if I can be really blunt, I feel like she was a fun jump scare almost as a character. Like we kind of got the moment of like, like really what are her two, her two real moments are the uh, answering the door to Kathleen and ultimately being a distraction, which as we discussed with the benders in real life kind of, mm-hmm. you know, does line up with some stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I could see why maybe it was written in, initially as a oh well the benders did it i think it could have been dropped from the show like she could have just been looking around snooping and then been surprised i don't think she needed to do anything with missy and then what is it the moment where she like stabs at dean and gets his coat caught in a wall which is like a two second thing like that entire scene could have been him getting distracted by something else and hit over the head yeah definitely she was underutilized and could have been so much more had we gone with your idea Mm -hmm. or remove her completely and use the time to better build the mythology of maybe there's something supernatural. Whoops, there isn't. You were tricked this whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. I think that, yeah, I think that there are definitely things to talk about here. But I mean, overall, I know I know that you definitely had some very obvious problems with it, but I actually enjoy this episode. But that's the worst part, is I really liked this episode. <laughs> that's too Like, funny. for all of its flaws, for all of my arguments, for all of my, like, I feel they were missteps... In the grand scheme of things, I really like the idea of an episode where the villain is humans. I I kind of like, in my head, that was like a, like a the bingo card of tropes we're going to see yeah. eventually was on there. Yeah. Earlier than I anticipated, which I think even took me for a, a surprise. Like, I legitimately sat there during the first initial hunt with the other victim. And I'm wondering, like, what creature's going to show up? Like, what are they sacrificing him to? What is this thing going to be? And then when one of them shows up to hit him, I'm like... Oh, like it, it, despite the fact that it could have been better, it was still good. Yeah. This was a solid B plus, maybe even a minus. We were just talking about pushing that up to an A, A plus. Yes, absolutely. Just the same way that we're talking. Yeah, exactly. Yes. You know, fixing Supernatural one episode at a time. That's, that's the goal. (laughs) And again, I think I've said it before and I'll say it again. The episodes where you and I really like bump heads are the ones that I feel do the most good 
in a larger scope. I agree. And I think that if you think about it, this episode is meant to be controversial. Yeah. Because it's not black and white. And because there are many ways to see what Kathleen has done. Because frankly, if somebody felt like Kathleen had done the right thing, I couldn't disagree with them. I mean, I, dis- I my vision is different, but it's really hard to say, you know what, this garbage person that has killed, like, we don't know, you don't even know how many people who is not remorseful and who is actually bringing down his entire family with him in the process. You know, it's hard to justify that anyway. So it's there. Yeah, I think we can end this episode together, like coming together better than we were at the beginning <gasps> and ultimately agreeing good episode did a lot to talk us through a lot of things i am very excited to see where the rest of the season goes still the duality of carrying wayward you've been listening to carrying wayward a supernatural podcast produced by rochelle castellano hosted by mary vicarou and myself drew shulman this week we'd like to thank michelle for her tweet Help us keep the conversation going. You can send us a voice recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com and follow us or reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, and now TikTok using at carryingwayward. Subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts for weekly content, including special episodes. Until next week. Carry on our wayward friends. <laughs>